It is a worldwide theme in the body of Christ that God is bringing a new level of unity to the body of Christ. And we've had um, several different decades. And, and I want to say that I, I think I've said this before, but I'm go- going to repeat it, that we've had like five decades of missions, global missions as the Western church. And probably two or three decades ago, they realized that colonization was not working. And the methods that we had been using to propagate the gospel in the earth had many liabilities. There were many things that God did do in them because God has always used broken vessels and he does what he does and he gets what he wants when he wants. But there, there was not, there, there was literally to, to say that we had fruit that remained. There were many liabilities to that everywhere. Not only liabilities to fruit that would remain in the nations themselves, liabilities to the missionaries, to the pastors that fell into sin and this, the horror stories. I mean, we when we traveled in Europe, we would hear horror stories in different cities of just pastors, like their lives being destroyed. And this is all a result of the way we've done ministry. It's not a result of God's hand being short. It's a result of not understanding the gospel. Um, and so we've been talking about unity. We've been talking about what Paul says about unity. And when um, the Apostle Paul, when he was given the appointment to establish the church, he had a strategy. And the first part of that strategy was to proclaim the gospel. But understanding the con- content of the gospel was not enough. The gospel itself, was that was an entry point into the body of Christ And into a place of community. And that's why he focused on the unity of one mind and one heart. Because being in community with one mind and one heart would unleash the power of God in the earth. So, and I want to just read this one statement. This is a, just a paragraph from uh, Jeff Reed. He's talking about the Pauline letters. And it says, at this particular time in our culture, Christianity is very individualistic in nature. We understand the Great Commission to be a multiplication of individuals, which each figure, we each figure out our own strategy with our own disciples and how we're going to get the job done. But as it unfolds in Acts, the Great Commission was not at all the idea of the multiplication of individuals, although communities are always made up of individuals. It was a multiplication of believing communities. It was a multiplication of churches. Even baptism was not so much an individual experience, but it visualized identifying with Christ in a community of believers, and you were brought into that community. There was harmony and order to that community that was built on a family structure, an extended family structure. And so that's what we're contending with today is this place of individualism in our church. And our church, the Church Global any, any church in the Western Hemisphere right now is dealing with this very pow- powerful cultural paradigm of individualism that pushes us away from coming into a people of God. And the problem with that is that we can't, we can't express who we're supposed to be without community. Like when you're saved, you're saved. But if you don't have a context to demonstrate the gospel, your context is one another. Your context is your family. And if you don't have that context, you don't have a demonstration that unleashes power. You have something to tell people. This was why um, Charles Finney, when people came to the altar to be saved, 
None of them prayed a prayer in his meetings. Charles Finney was a revivalist probably about 100 years ago. He's known for having some of the most um, stable conversions within his ministry. But he would tell them to go wrestle with God and have an encounter. They would be overcome with the burden of sin, and then he would say, go pray. You need to find your salvation, find Jesus. And they would have to go wrestle with God until they knew they had encountered him and he was saved. And today, because we have cheapened it to to, uh, an understanding of the content of the gospel, we've not required people to wrestle with God and to come into a place of salvation in their hearts that they know we have a ton of orphans in the church that are insecure, that they don't know their sonship and their daughtership in the church and in the earth because we've not wrestled with God and tasted the beauty of salvation. We've not even come really desperate understanding how our sin separates us from a living God and that we come and we need a savior. We have an affinity towards God. We want our lives to be better. And so we come and we acknowledge who he is, but we don't come into a true place of salvation. And Paul knew this. Paul, every time he said there was a problem in the church, he went back to the gospel because every issue in the church is related to a misunderstanding of the gospel itself. Because if we understand the gospel, then we understand that we're crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And that is a powerful statement that the living God lives within us and transforms us. And it's in that place that we are able to live out a life that is fruitful, that unleashes power. I want to go to Ephesians, where this is where Paul has written this. Everything that is written, this is all the epistles are written as tools to establish a church. It's not a tool to establish you in the faith. It's a tool to establish the church. Paul saw the body of Christ as his mission. He saw churches as his mission. Individuals were being brought into that mission. And so when he says this, he's he's preaching to a church, and he's talking, reestablishing the power of God. Let's go to Ephesians 1. And it says... um, I'm going to go to verse 20. It says, he exercised this, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So here he's beginning to talk about what God did through Jesus for us. And it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly heavens with Christ Jesus. So he's proclaiming the gospel here of what what happens when we get saved. And the problem is, like I said, in the church, there's so much sin In the church today, there's so much fleshly living in the church. That is not the the demonstration of a saved people. 
a saved people, they're crucified. Their flesh no longer lives. Christ lives in them. There's a power of God. There's a desire for purity. There's a desire to live for, for others. A selflessness, a givenness to the gospel. And we've, we've lost this place. And then we've propagated a gospel that's less than that. And then we, we are drowning in counseling because we've lost the power of God to set people free because of our misunderstanding of the gospel itself. Because when we come in alignment with God, his word is true. He really does satisfy. He really does set people free. He really does break the shame of sin. He, he gives you the power to live holy. These are all things that are true and real, but we've made them a lie because of our demonstration of how we've behaved with one another. And so when we're talking about unity this year, we're talking about leveling up in the spirit and coming into a place and reckoning with God. And it is a serious hour that we're living in because there is a new epic of history and Christian history that is coming upon us in this moment. Things have shifted rapidly over the last three or four years, and we are coming into a new season and a new day in the church. And God has turned his eye towards the church, and he's saying, I'm going to purify my bride now. And it starts with us understanding what he did for us, starting with the gospel itself, coming into a place that we can say, I am crucified with Christ. And then let's go when you go further into two. And I want to read this because it says, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh. Hold on. I want to, let me, but now Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in the flesh. He's talking between the Jew and the Gentile here. He's talking about the Gentiles were invited in. That's us. We were invited into this place of salvation. And through Christ's blood, the wall of partition was broken down. There was no way for us to taste of the beauty of God. But that through the blood has been broken down. But that same power that broke down the wall of partition between Jew and Gentile breaks the wall of partition between us as family members. It's the same power of God that breaks down the wall of partition. The blood is powerful enough to break the wall between you and your husband. To break the wall between you and that friend that you're having a hard time with or that person that you don't like in the body. The blood of Jesus has made a way for us to love one another. It's made a way for our lives to be transformed. And the gospel is not seen until it is seen in this transformed life of how you are treating your family members. How, how, how are you loving your wife? How are you, how are you, as wives, are you empowering your husbands to lead? Are you empowering their masculinity in a day that it's being destroyed? Or are you, are you falling into that place of culture and saying, you know, you can't tell me that. I have my own mind. I have my own thoughts. Or are, are we abiding by the scripture? Not because we like it or we feel good about it. Because it's, it's, it's right and it's true. But this power is given to us to live in a way that will unleash the power of God in our region. 
And as a church, if we can grab a hold of it in our personal families and then in our church family, we will see a demonstration of the power of God in this region like we've not seen in our lifetime. There is an unleashing that God is calling us to. And I want to give you this vision that when we're saying this, this is, it's an uncomfortable word because it's going much deeper than, than, than the shallow stuff that we've been talking about. I'm I'm just telling you, and there's sin rampant in the church. There's sin in our church. And it's because of this place of like, we just like everybody, if you've, if you've prayed the prayer, you're all saved. And like, I'm not going to tell somebody they're not saved, but I'm going to tell you that it is definitely the way is much narrow than what we think. And you need to wrestle with God. We all need to be wrestling with the father and making sure that we have, that we're in that place of submission to who he is. Just, just having a, a, a consent to the gospel is not enough. And our demonstration has to be founded in community. It has to be founded in a one-mindedness of one another, of coming together as a people of God. And it's not, you know, some people like to, we like to associate it with we're part of the church worldwide. Well, that's great, but that doesn't mean anything to your personal life. What does that, what does that do for you? I, I mean... It's living with one another. It's being called into this place that that's what, that's applied Christianity. It's easy to say, oh, I'm a part of the body of Christ worldwide. Okay. But it's really hard to love your husband well. It's really hard to love your kids well. It's really hard to be open and honest with other people in the church body that you have a fault with. Being brave and courageous enough to say, you know, I'm really struggling with this. Instead of just hiding it and walking around with this, this division in our hearts that we're not one, but we're not courageous enough to have the honest conversation. But this is where God is taking us to is these places of, of true, honest conversation, a purity of faith that is going to be so dynamic. And it's the uncomfortable place. That's what being saved is not a comfortable thing. It's a continual crucifying of your flesh. And being saved doesn't mean that you're coming into a place where everything works fine. When I got saved, I got saved right before one of the most tumultuous times in my life. And I was a youth. So I was having to submit to, to, to my stepfathers. I had to do things that were super uncomfortable as a Christian. Super unfair, it felt like, oftentimes. But I was so naive that I, I, I say that as a joke because it's not naive, but it, but it is, it's a childlike faith that when I read the word, I believed it. And I would put myself and say, I'm not my own, I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own, I'm bought with a price. And I would walk into some of the most difficult situations and submit because I was not my own. I was bought with a price. And I was going to demonstrate the salvation that Christ had given me. He'd given me an ability to walk through things. And I walked through hard things. And I came out with, with a little, with a few, with some smoke around me. But God was faithful. And I want to say this because just the theology of like one of the songs that we sing, it says, God will never let you down. Depends on what you're talking about. Because 
Yeah. Because there's a perception, like there were many perceived times that God let me down to my own, what I thought was right, what I thought, how things should be, how I was hoping that they would turn out. And many times in life, that perception was let down. However, he was faithful to me my whole life. Everything that the enemy has meant for my destruction, he turned to my good. The word of God is true, and he is, he is forever faithful. But there are times that, that we don't understand the ways of God. But it's that place of humility when we come into salvation that we're able to say, you're God and I'm man. And we don't put any stipulations on that. He's God. Whatever happens in life, he's God. And it's this type of salvation that gave the martyrs the ability to, like, there was a woman that they chopped her son's head off in front of her, and she picked his head up and began to hold it and sing praises to the one who's worthy. That's the kind of salvation I'm talking about. Getting out of our petty desires to have things our own way, things that are uncomfortable. You can't tell me, oh, that's control. You guys are controlling. That's legalism. You're trying to make us legalistic. We're not trying to do any of that. We're trying to align our hearts with the gospel and rein our flesh in to submit to the living God and let the living Christ live big in us, to live a transformed life. To live the household order because God has called us to do that. And that's probably one of the most uncomfortable things to do today in this culture because it's, it's totally countercultural. I mean, we're radical terrorists because we want to, you know, honor our husbands. I mean, that's like we're crazy today, right? It's crazy people. Um, but it's, it's, it's so true. It's so true. But this is why this message is so uncomfortable and radical because we're dying to our flesh, guys. It's, it's an uncomfortable message, but we're not trying to bring people into control. We're trying to bring people into this place of one-mindedness, one heart, one mind, where we honor each other in the love of Christ. There's a one-anothering that's going on continually. And when people speak badly of somebody, we're like, well, I'm not so sure about that. There's always two sides. I need to find out from that person if this is absolutely true. Believing the best of one another. Speaking th- only the things that lift others up. It says, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but that which builds others up. Everything we're saying is a constant building up of the body of Christ. An explosive love that, that just explodes around us. And people see the demonstration of a transformed life in a community. And they're saying, I want to belong to that. And that is called evangelism. That's evangelism. Evangelism is not going out and just giving people the content of the gospel. They then must, they must receive that and be brought into a community that's transformed by the power of God. And so I, I just want to say, I want to give um, my biggest thing that's been on my heart in saying all of this is that... Um, I want to give a warning to us that have been in the body. I've been feeling this in my, for myself, and I've been feeling it because 
In some ways in our church, there's sort of this divide between the young and the old. And we have young beginning to live hard for Jesus. And then we have old people, you know, pushing against the goad. It's, it's uncomfortable. This is control. It's, it's different things. But I want to go to um, Numbers 14. And that's what God had been bringing up to me was this passage with um, Moses and Aaron. Oh, I lost it. You know what? I had it marked. Hold on. Sorry. Okay, here it is. Because there is a place of, there is a new promised land that God is bringing us as a church into. And the people of Israel, we look and we, we talk about them all the time. We're always talking about them because these, oh, how could these people do this? But these people are representative of us. And it's very, very easy to be an Israelite. It's easy, and that's what I'm talking about, the uncomfortable place of honing in our flesh. Because it's so easy for us to be Israelites. It's easier for us to look and make judgment towards them and miss our own hearts and our own lives. And it says here, it says, Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and the people wept that night. All the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron, and the whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into this place? And so they just complained against what God was doing. They complained against their leaders, but that's not really, I'm not really focusing as much on that God is doing a new thing, and we need to be be cautious that we do not embrace it. And recognize the hour that we're living in. Because then from there, they angered the Lord. And I know that we live in a time of grace, but I am telling you, God is doing a new thing. And he's not going to take high, think highly of us rejecting it. I'm saying it, it's a season. We could miss the next move of God. The one that we've been living for our whole lives. After the last revival, this, is, this next revival is what we've had our eyes set on. The prize. For the moment that's before us. And we've been saying, God, I want that day. I want to see your power in the earth. And we've lived for this moment. And we need to be careful that we do not have hardened hearts like the Israelites. And begin to complain about what he's doing. Particularly when it comes to unity. We need to get over ourselves and say, God, what do you want? And reestablish ourselves in the faith. Reestablish ourselves in the gospel. And that's why these, when Paul wrote these to the Ephesians, these were churches, you guys, that were established. These were not unsaved people. It was a church that was falling into these places of disunity. And so it happens. It happens with mature people. It happens with immature people. And so we need to be re-looking at our hearts today. And the nearness of God is coming And when he comes in these ways and times, we've seen throughout history, when the nearness of God comes in this way, you guys, it is not a kumbaya moment. In some of the revivals, people were struck dead for cursing God, just falling down right there. We see it in the Bible, Ananias and Sapphira. Those things seem like fairy tales. But I am telling you, when the power of God comes like that in that moment, it will happen in this day. And do not be surprised by that. And that's what I'm saying. There is a fear of the Lord that must enter the camp that we begin to to judge ourselves before God. 
judge our own hearts, test our own hearts. Because it's a serious hour that we are nearing day by day, getting so much closer to. You can see the drops of glory already beginning to spill upon the earth. The salvations are coming. The hunger for the Lord is just building. You can see it every day. It's in the news. It's in world news, international news. You can see the hand of God is, is just, it's just that, you know, this is what I keep telling people. I'm like, you guys, the tower of Babel was being built until it wasn't. Come on. So the tower of Babel is being built again until it won't be. And I'll tell you, God is, God has his moment and, and they were building it thinking that they were going to just do their own thing. And God had nothing to say about it. And then God showed up. And so in the same way in this day, there is a building that's being constructed, but God is getting ready to have his moment. But in saying that, he's going to come and judge his church first because he, we're going to be his showcase in that moment. That is what he is designing. He is getting to re- make us into a showcase for one of the finest hours of history. And so that is why I'm telling you and cautioning you, don't miss this moment. Don't, don't get your hearts. Let them be stubborn before the Lord. Go before him continually. Test your own hearts. Because when we come up here and preach, we're not trying to, to preach to control people. We're, we're, all of, we're doing the same things that we're asking of you. And we're having to lead, guys. It's, that's a hard place. Okay. Um, I just want to say along the, that line, right? You know we're forerunners. I've told this to you many times. We're a forerunner church, meaning we are not preaching for the present. So like the words we're talking about and the preaching, it's not because there's disunity in the sense of like issues or people griping and complaining. And that would be like all the time in the church. People are always griping and complaining. So we would always just preach about this. This is about like not some present thing. We're forerunners. We're preaching for the future. We're preaching for people to be prepared for the visitation of God. That is what this is all about. And so when Steph's saying this is an, a, a real warning, I mean, some of the comments I've heard over the past couple of weeks, I'm just like, oh, gosh, Lord. And it's brought me to pray for people in this body because they're just missing it completely. And, oh, no, it's just dictating everything that I've said because my microphone was on. <laughs> wow, you could actually dictate your whole message doing this. Oh. Um, now I have to find out where my note was. My gosh, it's pages long. Um, yeah, and so here's the challenge to life groups, okay? And if, if you're new here or you don't understand how we're set up, this is not like our Sunday church gathering, okay? This is what I see as a gathering of our life group churches as a network, as a people. We don't talk about like, we don't have normal diet. We don't have these real intense relationship building opportunities on a Sunday because it's not the purpose. The purpose is vision, evangelism, getting on the same page, seeing the hard, cold, cold reality of how we're missing the mark. Come back to this place of a united front. Challenging life group leaders, lead your churches well, you know, and start going deep. This is the place for like encounters and worship that we can't do in a house church. 
You can have presence and that kind of thing, but nothing like hundreds of people gathering, declaring, prophesying, and we're growing in that stuff. But Sundays is a time where we're going to be coming and like the glory cloud's going to fall and we'll start releasing judgments over the wicked principalities and they'll be shaken from the heavenlies down to the earth because of prayers that went up from the people of God. Like power beyond human ability. So my challenge to the life group leaders is, you know, is authenticity and vulnerability in a very raw way being displayed or is it theological pontification and a bunch of shared opinions? I want you to think about that. And I'm calling the people in the life groups to challenge even leadership who is not allowing this to happen. Think about your last life group. Did you just summarize things and the information of it and recategorize it or pick out like one little statement and then turn the whole theme of the message into that? Like, what will this be about? God is going to do a wonderful move on the earth. We should make sure we really like think about our lives a little. Or are you going to facilitate leaders an opportunity for real, authentic, deep work. What that looks like is going around the circle and making sure every single person shares about, this is where I am faltering. This is where I struggle. This is where I need to repent and change the way I think and actually do something to grow. Where everyone, like what Will did in the other room during... The announcements, he testified in a very raw way. He said, I used to be a porn addict. I want you guys to understand that is wonderful, but that should be no big deal to Will if he's completely healed. He's like, oh yeah, let me tell you something about my past life. No big deal. And in encounters, we've developed a culture where everybody just shares their garbage of what they came out of. Why? They're free. There is no sting in sharing. I was molested. I was abused. I was an alcoholic. I was addicted to drugs. There's no sting because you're not that way. If there is sting, it means you're probably still that way. And so you have a hard time being vulnerable, transparent. What Will did is nothing if you're free. But to some people, they'd be like, oh my God, he just shared that stuff. Yeah, what's, what's the big deal about that? Every single one of you and me has garbage that we are delivered from. And if you've never shared that, you've never walked in a place that God's called you to be in from day one, which is total freedom to be transparent. Okay, so now here's the deal, though. What's the big deal is for you to share your vulnerabilities and weaknesses that you're going through now. Because that's where the embarrassing part is. But it shouldn't be. Because if we really had a community that was authentic and feared the Lord and had the gospel as their total passion in life, like, kill me, Lord, that you may live through me. That's what the gospel's about. If you really were in that place, you'd be like, everyone ready for this wonderful struggle that I'm having? Because it's just going to, I'm going to overcome it through the power and strength of community encouragement. And I am going to shine with transforming glory. People are just going to go, whoa, what is going on with him? 
This is it, folks. But it takes the hard thing of model it. Live as an example of someone who is airing their current dirty laundry now and getting prayer and help from those around them. And this happens in life group. This happens like when we do this as a discipline every week. I've had this week's like a life group leader come to me and say, I'm, I'm so discouraged, Sean. I let them get on a tangent and we never got to a place of vulnerable sharing about our lives. Stop the pontification. We don't need more theological lofty ideas and things that have no application to how you live tomorrow. We got to get this. We got to grow. We got to press in. And if it's not happening in your life group and you get on these silly tangents where you basically introduce an opinion like, well, I, I know the message, but here's what I want to talk about this week. That's not unity. I mean, we're not asking you to regurgitate the message like a bunch of robots. We're taking the message because it's a very basic gospel-oriented thing where you bring it to life group and you say, this is the really hard work. This is what it meant to me personally. This is how it challenged me to grow. This, it's the fine points too. I'm not asking, I, I don't expect that everyone is stuck in adultery. But we're, we all struggle with pride. We all struggle with ways that like, when we hear a preaching, it might not even fit with the theme, but we know in our heart, we're like, oh, that's me. I have too many harsh words. Ooh, that's me. I am not nice to my wife. Ooh, that's me. I am so strong that I don't let my man lead my marriage. Or should I say it like this? I don't let my man lead my marriage. It's those things that Steph talked about. That's what your whole discussion should be on. Maybe give someone, give like two minutes from your notes and say, so Stephanie talked on this, talked about how the gospel relates to every relationship we have and how God is coming and going to move in a powerful way and the church needs to be ready because God's judging his church first. How long did that take? 20 seconds? Do it. And then stop talking about all your opinions. Start talking about what does it mean for you, period. And if you don't have these times of repentance, and remember, repentance isn't like everyone breaking in tears, crying, oh, my, oh I'm a mess. So are you. So am I. Oh, we're all a mess. Lord, help. It's, that's not repentance. Repentance is, Lord, is like my mind is being changed. It could be as a matter of fact as that. Like after that message, I realized I better watch my words. I'm careless with my words. And that is your focus for that week. Share it in your life group. Shout it from the rooftops. And say, I need prayer now. Let's all pray together that God would sweep over us with transformation. And that we'd change. And we'd, we'd grow. And we wouldn't stay stuck in this place of just pathetic demonstration where we are the same as everyone else in the world. That is an indictment. Same divorce rate. Same pornography. It's horrible. Same pride and arrogance. And let me see. I think I had one more point and then we'll respond here. If I can find it in this mad list of. I think that's it. By the way, Steve is in Maine preaching the gospel up there. 
So that's where he is today. What's that? Yeah. I want to say one more thing is when I'm saying this, um, when I'm giving this warning, I want you to know, guys, that we're being challenged we're, as the interns and stuff are being led on, set on fire. They need to be able to look at the older people and say, I want to be like that one. I want to have the faith of that one. I want to walk in that kind of power, right? I'm saying we're, we're and, and it's not, I mean, I, but I've been looking at my own life, guys. I'm saying we need much prayer. I, have, I had an old uh, AG superintendent. He used to say much prayer, much power, little prayer, little power. And that's burned in my mind. And so as I'm being challenged, I'm saying, God, I need much prayer. I need to be burning hotter and, 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 and I need to be a flame of fire for you. And so as we're saying this, ask yourself, are you a flame of fire? Are people looking at you and saying, wow, they're burning. I want to be like that one. I want to run like that one. And that's what we want to be as an example. There was when I first got saved, I was, I was crazy. I was crazy. I love Jesus. And I would go out and street preach and do all these crazy, crazy things. And I went to a church with a friend of mine and the pastors had taken us out and we were like talking all about what Jesus was doing and everything. And the wife looks at the husband and she says, Charles, do you remember when we were like that? Like almost mocking us. Like, you know, we were like immature and like, and I was just like, ah, I was so upset. But, um, but I'm reminded of that now saying, God, like, am I still burning? Right. I'm saying we've got to, we're coming to a day and it's like, it's, we've got to come to a new place and level up. And our first love has to be our first love again. We need to come into this place that it's a rich, vibrant relationship that we've not gotten into the just same old, same old with God. And like, oh, remember when we were like that? No, I want to be like that now. It never gets old. You never grow out of being in love with Jesus. You don't grow up and become less passionate and more controlled, right? No, we want people to see his love burning in us. We want the young people to look at us and say, that is the generation I'm following. Not that's the generation that's going to die in the wilderness so that the young ones can enter the promised land. And that is what happened. That is what happened, guys. And we don't want to be that. And so that is my warning for us today to be serious with God in this hour because it is an hour of seriousness before the Lord. When his eye looks on the church, judgment is coming. Judge your heart first. Because if we wait around until he comes, it's going to hurt a lot worse. It, it's, it's, it's really true. If, if we'll be humble and come, man, there's, there's forgiveness there. there. There is grace on you. But if you wait until he has to pull it out of you, then you're praying for mercy. And so that is the hour. That is the, the message that I have today. And if you want to. Let's just respond to that then. I mean, really, whatever it is. And then just percolate on that today. Think about specifically how the gospel impacts your life and what it's requiring of you to change and yield to him, surrender to him. Father, we just stand before you as your word has been shared. It was a living word, a rich word, a piercing word. And Father, I just pray, I pray for a commissioning today of life group leaders that they would be able to 
say no to the distractions and the bunny trails and say yes to you working in your people's hearts. They'd say yes and, and invite and facilitate the raw sharing of where we are at now. That you might jump in and bring power and transformation in prayer and demonstration. Demonstrating your word with signs and wonders following this week. And Lord, we just, we invite you to come. Prepare us. We don't want to be ones who are disciplined by you because of our stubbornness and our stiff-necked rebellion. To just be changed like a big lump of clay into this gorgeous piece of pottery. And we just, we pray that today. I pray this for our whole family here today.